0: welcome to the teacher in classroom 21 a podcast by the ever learner i'm james your host join me and my guests every week as we discuss debate and explore the features of a world-class classroom in the 21st century Welcome to the Teacher in Classroom 21 podcast. I'm your host, James Sims, and joining me from Millfield in Somerset is Stuart Maddock. Stuart is head of PE at Millfield School, known by many as the PE tutor at PE tutor for his excellent online persona and teaching and learning resources. Expert in the use of technology to teach and to learn and ever learner pioneer. And importantly, Stuart is also a friend and a confidant to me and the rest of the Tell team. Stuart, welcome to the show.
1: Hi James, thank you very much for that lovely introduction. It's a pleasure to be on the show.
0: Well, I have to say, I've been keen and hoping to get you on for some time. And without preempting too much, I'm hoping this is very much the start of the conversation and mm-hmm. something we potentially we we will revisit time and time again. But all that being said, all that being said, let me ask you a first question, mm-hmm. Stuart. I think it might be possible that you and I are currently reading the same book. Uh, yeah. Ha- how are you finding unleashing great teaching?
1: I am thoroughly enjoying it, James. Uh, I've actually found it an easy read. I find it very digestible. Um, this book, by the way, is by David Weston, who's right. CEO of the Teacher Development Trust. And I'll we'll do a little plug for him in his absence. If you haven't read it or haven't come across it, then I think it's a brilliant book and it's well worth getting hold of. It, I only think was published this this is what probably a week since it was published um if, if anyone who's interested in teacher development is involved in teacher development at schools and that's their role, then I think that this is a vital purchase for them but equally for your own development, I think it would be well worth acquiring so yeah i'm 'm probably um, I've, I've actually dipped in and out of it i 've just read this afternoon actually the the chapter on impact, which i think is I found very interesting and i'm looking forward to getting on to the idea of culture so I think that you know, if you're going to change and you're going to make things happen for the better, um, I think there's a quote in there or somewhere else, I think, where is, you, know, you, you you can't just change systems. You need to change culture and embedded culture needs to be considered and looked at if you're going to make the changes that are going to be long lasting and sustainable.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things I, I'm about 30, 40 pages in so far, I'm really enjoying it. And one of the things that I've taken out of the book as well, which I would wholeheartedly endorse too, is that. I have this clear theme that mediocrity in the world of teacher development and professional learning is not good enough. Mm. The, the amount of energy we give to the amount of energy, commitment and time we all give as a teaching profession to student development mm. needs to be comparable to that of teacher development. And that comes yeah. very, very strongly through David writing.
1: I think so and one of the things I think just on that chapter on impact is the way in which you approach your professional learning. I think in the past previous models have been or the kind of assumed um, knowledge is that you, you want to develop yourself as a teacher without focusing on the impact of your individual students and I think what his angle is saying is um, okay how, what, do you, what do you need to do, what do you want to do to help students that you are already teaching and you work from that premise and you work backwards in terms of your your own development to, to help to help those those that you're in the classroom with
0: and it's a subtle a mind shift isn't it because by ensuring that you are aware of the intended impact you're starting with the end in mind mm. you're, you're doing that classic NLP thing of starting with the end in mind also I think the clever aspect of it is that as the person can, uh, experiencing the professional learning you're also going to value that experience far more highly because it's got direct implications for what's going on
1: Mm, you're investing in it with aren't you and if you've got that child pupil for one year two years perhaps longer that you know that you can really make a difference to them then absolutely you want to do that rather than just be perhaps proficient in a particular practice that might not have that impact um where it's required
0: well, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Stuart, a little bit, uh-huh. because not not least because of you and because of your intervention. I'm actually interviewing David, who I should say is one of the two authors of the book. Of course, there's Bridget Clay too, That's and right. I'm I'm interviewing David midday on Friday, which is two days or a day and a half from now. Which mm-hmm. so so I'm hence as well. I'm reading pretty rapidly to make sure I'm covered. Um, but here's my question to you during my interview on friday from your reading so far what do you think i should ask
1: Ah, oh, crikey ah oh, oh, that's a really interesting question i I'm, I'm thinking about the chapter which i've read which is impact and how you probably get to the decision makers the those responsible for leading on professional learning that they understand that it's about the student that it's the impact on the student rather than the wholesale. I mean, I think we all can, can relate to models of CPD where at the beginning of the academic year or the beginning of the you know, January term, we're all in the hall together and it's one size fits all, which is actually probably has minimal impact for even you know, the teachers as well as the students. It's, it's about how you change that mindset. So that would be the question I think we might be interested mm-hmm. to ask him. He, he makes it very clear, or they make it very clear about the the relevance and the significance of that but it's about what question would you ask maybe to to ensure that that focus changes
0: interesting well I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take exactly that and, <laughs> and I, i'm gonna take that to david on friday it's i have to say i'm super nervous about that particular yeah. uh, interview because uh he's, he's he's someone in many ways while it's never good to want to go and impress people because you always end up fumbling over yourself if you yeah. do that he's someone that i would I I really want to get the best out of He's someone I want Mm. to really ask sharp and relevant questions to absolutely um Um, sorry go ahead go ahead
1: no no I was just going to say the other thing that that I I was aware of the teacher training at teacher development trust beforehand and I've had previous colleagues who've been involved in you know uh, teaching and learning as assistant heads etc so one of the things that they do at the the development trust there is the CPD audit which is really worth looking at which is you know how well your school is equipped um for the provision of cpd um so that would be something that i'll certainly be looking at with my colleagues in my place of work
0: really interesting now many people are going to know you stuart for your work in pe they're going to know you as this online character producing beautiful resources we're going to get to that but a lot of what a lot of people will not know about you is that you're an actually experienced international teacher could you yeah. give our listeners a little insight into that
1: yeah that, uh, yes I will I spent the early part of my teaching career in Japan and I went out there this is this is going back to nine, the early 1990s James um that still seems like a modern <laughs> number to me Nineteen ninety. I know it's probably not too many I remember yet. the date really well it was 1991 December the 7th I went out before Christmas thing what am I doing leaving my family leaving my home and I went to teach English as a foreign language out in Tokyo. Um, I went on a one-year contract and I loved it so much. Absolutely adored it. I ended up staying for five years and I went from being a classroom teacher. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. A classroom teacher through to being a director of studies of uh, of, of one of the, the setups there. So the, the, the funny enough, another podcast that I recently um, listen to and the name of the author escapes me now which is a little bit embarrassing but there's a book which you may have come across or certainly heard of called clever lands have you come mm. across this book I, I, I know it but I haven't read it which is about a lady I think her name is Lucy and I f- forgive me for not knowing what her name is I should do who basically traveled to five or six different countries the top achieving countries in the world for education and, and examined you know what they were doing and the differences etc so in Japan um they have uh if the way they learn english as a language is very much like a science if you like it's quite formulaic so you'd have a big class numbers 40 50 students perhaps in a class and the teacher would mainly be teaching um, japanese be speaking in japanese but then once in a while they come come out with some english constructions etc but that that was so it's very formulaic and most like a science and so that left a market for what's Called in Japanese, kaiwa, which means English conversation, and because there wasn't the opportunity for students to talk and use the language in school, they the the market for it's a private organisation to come and spend an hour or half an hour or whatever it was with English speakers to develop their language, and so that's where my teaching started, and. Um, absolutely fascinating I, I really really enjoyed it I, I love the Japanese people the culture and the language and I I know that you've obviously also also had experience internationally and I I'm a real believer that if you if you have the opportunity to go abroad absolutely fantastic but if you if you learn the culture so if you learn the language if you get to know the people then you obviously get to know the culture more you can get really embedded in in your existence and then you get a huge amount out of it absolutely so much out of it and I think that my time in Japan teaching, even though I didn't know it at the time, definitely had a very strong influence and shaped my almost foundation and philosophy for my teaching now. Mm. Um, in the sense that it's it all it might sound quite contradictory, but in Japan you may be aware that it's a very much a group, group culture. It's all about the group and um, there's a little phrase for that which is called, they say, nakam, Nakama, which is within, within the group, and the group's almost more important than the individual. Mm. Um, so I, I was thinking, OK, how, how can I use that with regards to my teaching over here? Now, if you, and I know we've discussed this before, if you think of um, one of those activities like numbered heads together, yeah. OK, where you where you have four or five in a group and it's incumbent upon the group not to leave anyone behind and every single person in that group must answer the question. They must know the answer to that question. And then that's the same sort of idea that I want to make sure that in my classroom, nobody's left behind and that we all have a collective responsibility to ensure as best we can for even the the least able to be able to, to be up to speed and and um yeah and i'm pretty sure and i've i've obviously thought about that that that's come from my time in japan
0: that's really fascinating i've i've heard an analogy made i i must confess i don't remember exactly where this came from but i i i heard or read at some point about a story of uh, um a psychologist who um wanted to investigate the idea of rewards and how it could change behavior. Mm. And uh, he went to what I'm picturing my, in my mind, I have to admit there's a bit of conjecture in here, but he went to uh, uh, an African village and said to the children that were present, whoever runs to the tree fastest will receive these sweets. Now he had a bag of candy or chocolate or something. And um, so he shouted, go and all these kids grabbed each other's hands and all ran collectively yeah, all yeah, yeah. to the tree. And he said to them afterwards, why did you do that? Why didn't the fastest among you just run away? Mm. The answer came back, and again, I wasn't there, so I'm paraphrasing, but the answer came back, how can I be happy if mm. everybody else in my group is sad?
1: Yeah, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting psychology, isn't it, that maybe in the West over here, we, 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 it's all about the individual and being first or having this and having that, whereas elsewhere in the world that doesn't isn't the same and they do think about me well obviously I'm generalizing hugely as well but um I found that it's just not always the case in my teaching of course but often I try to ensure that everyone is is well catered for in that sense yeah
0: and we're, we're very I guess if we reflect on the, the the period of time in which we've lived Stuart you and I are relatively close in age and we 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 grew up in the 80s or we went through a uh, big chunk of our lives in the 80s, a time mm. of material, developing materialism and individualism. And we, we've been told a story that we have a stake in the education of some people, ourselves and those in our immediate proximity, maybe the students in our class, maybe the people in our school. Mm. And one of the things I try and remind myself about is that I have a stake in the education of all people. Yeah. Because I ne- you never know where that who who is the person who's going to find the cure for the disease that I have when I'm seventy I mean, nine. You know who could that be? And I, mm-hmm. I like to think about that in the societal view, or at least how I see see the world. And I think it's like exactly what you're saying, but it broadens it out to a to a greater degree.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. And it's almost as if what you're doing with those you have immediate contact with, if they can replicate that as well, then that becomes uh, amplified, doesn't it? So that uh, those good things somewhere along the line are out there.
0: But aren't we just crazy socialists
1: with these ideas? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe. But is there a, is it, is it, is that, is that a problem? I don't know.
0: and it's like um I, I'm probably going to accidentally quote John Lennon here, but it's 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 almost like we're dreamers when we talk about when we talk about these things. Mm. But mm. but what's wrong with that?
1: No, there isn't. And, I, and I, something I was thinking about as well is about our you know your core value. What? Why do? So why are so many of us in teaching if we if we ask ourselves that question? What did you come into teaching for? That that answer is not going to be terribly far away. It, it may. It may be slightly distant to what's actually happening in education now and people's individual personal experiences, but that core value, I'm sure, is still there. Certainly, I feel that it is with me. And, um, you know, I'd like to make sure that I maintain that and hold on to it.
0: Yeah, I think starting with why is so important. Mm. I think there's 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 numerous ways that you could represent this, but starting with why, and as you were talking about before, with regard to uh, David and Bridget's work, and starting with uh, thing about the impact, starting with the end in mind, mm. I think mm. it's really really helpful. It draws me, it brings me to something else, Stuart. You're, you, I think you're well known for publishing and sharing resources online.
1: Mm. Why why do you do it? Uh good question. I like working with technology. Mm-hmm. And I like to go beyond that and think, how can I use that to enable? I'm going to I'm going to say better learning, but I was slightly hesitant there. How can I make it more accessible to a lot of people um, in a digital age? So I think what I'm looking at is okay. I've got some knowledge, I've got some experiences. It's it's a, almost like a hobby of mine. I would spend a bit of time behind the scenes learning you know, new software packages, etc. But I I also think, well, how can we apply that to modern education um, rather than just doing, A, the same thing over and over again, and B, B, um, new things um, you know, slightly differently, but not um, using the technology to its best. So, yeah, I think that's why, why I do it. I think there's, a, there's a, an intrinsic pleasure that I get from doing it in, it in the first place, and then obviously sharing enables other people to benefit from it.
0: Could you identify a resource or something that you've shared or published that you would say you're most proud of, you're most happy with, that gives you the most pleasure?
1: I think the resource that I created for the OCR, AS and A-level EP, the Oral Task, that you we refer to it as, um, was was the one which I I really enjoyed putting together because I was learning at the time. That, That software package is called Storyline. Articulate Storyline. And it's a great e-learning package. Now, parallel to that, something else that um, hopefully has come through is that I'm really, really interested in teacher development. Um, Even though this is a resource aimed mainly primarily at students, the learning, um, if if we take, if we go broader than education in the learning and development industry itself, which is a huge industry, um, online learning, uh, is is becoming huge, and that's obviously the direction in way in which um, things will continue to go i'm sure and articulate storyline is a prominent package um within that so I was able to to get hold of that I learned how to do it myself and um had a great deal of fun putting it together and so When it was finished i thought yeah this is this is great it's interactive it's self-paced i think that's one of the key things with technology it allows students to go at their own pace to master particular areas to go back to revisit Um, it's not sequential so you can duck all over the place Um, and um, i was able to put graphics and images and video and audio all together Uh, so yeah it was a really nice piece of work
0: that's great so give us just a an insight into articulate storyline it's actually a, a product that i've downloaded and trialed in the past yeah. but i i didn't get much further i would imagine that a lot of people that listen to the show will hear the words articulate storyline and they won't know what you what you mean what what yeah. is this e-learning package what does it do
1: okay so basically it's um it's a package if I'm sure lots of people are familiar with PowerPoint and we might talk about PowerPoint in a different context a little bit later but but storyline is if you're familiar with PowerPoint you will be familiar with the interface of storyline Um, it's at the moment it's an online uh, package so you can download it if you just something Google something like storyline I think 360 is their most recent um, their most recent uh, version Um, you create um, online learning through, it could be importing PowerPoint slides. There's much, much more to, to it than that. You wouldn't want to. I mean, you really wouldn't want to just get your PowerPoint slides and put them onto Storyline. I go there, I've converted it into um, either online learning or blended learning. There's huge, there's so much more to do to it than that. But you can import, as I said, audio. You can have video that appears and then disappears or freezes and then you have questions that can be asked. You can have quizzes integrated into it um and i've found i in fact the yeah, probably the resources i've used most with it are has been the uh, interactive drag and drop uh resources so for example if i know this earlier on this afternoon you were doing leadership weren't you james and you right. yeah there was a new looking at chelderized model mm-hmm. now i've made that model uh into a, an interactive drag and drop so rather than it being on the page in the textbook obviously they look at it and they can make sense of it as best they can what i've done uh, and the incident i'm pretty sure that this one is available online for free to download um whereby they first of all they've just given the the, the what we would call the anchors the for, for the for the particular um concepts to to be moved into Um, But they have to construct the model themselves. And just the very nature of constructing the model obviously requires thought, requires working out where does that go and how is that uh, set in relation to the rest of the components in the model. They make that up and they hit submit. And if if they get it right, they're told they've got it right. If not, they're told they've got it wrong. So there's a little bit of feedback, but not necessarily too much to, to help them initially. And then the second one in that particular task is that the model is complete, but it's jumbled up so they have to unjumble it and put the things back in the right place. And so it's a question of them grappling with the content in order to get that deeper understanding. And um, I've used that in my teaching as the very introduction to this particular concept.
0: That's interesting.
1: So I, I get these, you know, my students to think and work hard right from the beginning and st- Obviously, there's that a degree of competition, perhaps there's that degree of challenge with with for themselves and others, and um, yeah, sometimes they don't get it right first time, and they respond in different ways. Some are more determined to, to do it for themselves, others perhaps less resilient. But it's a it's a start. And then, just recently, not surprisingly, prior to exams, which is when we're making this recording, we've gone back to review that, and they a remember the experience of doing it. They probably complete it quicker and they have a fuller understanding and now with the iPad with the most recent edition uh, iOS 11 we can record the screen and so what I'm getting them to do now is that activity but I want them to verbally articulate their thinking whilst they're doing it and so they are completing it and this is a little bit of metacognition, I suppose, that they're saying, OK, their member characteristics will go there, the desired or preferred behaviours will go there. And they're understanding and able to put that together with a practical example. So you can take it from being you know, a standalone activity to something that's very specifically applied. And of course, the beauty of it is they don't have to do it just in the classroom. You know, That could be something they can revisit at any time, provided they've got a, a device and Wi-Fi
0: you used a really interesting term earlier on stuart you said it allows them to self-pace their learning Mm.
1: what do you mean by that so the concept of them having control of the rate in which they make progress so if,
0: I, I'm going to I'm going to stop you, Stuart, because for me, <laughs> I, I'm actually going to ask you to. I, I'm not stopping because you're wrong or because I disagree. I, I I actually wholeheartedly agree, but I'd just like you to repeat it because I think it's such a, a pivotal thing you just said. Could you just repeat that
1: for us? Th- well, I tried to repeat what <laughs> Sorry, I, think I, 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 said, I think I said the rate they have the control over the rate at which they're learning, and so they are not. It's not determined by an external factor, which is usually the teacher we're going at this pace and if you can't keep up unlucky um it's they they have uh the yeah the control so if they're not sure about something they can either pause a, a tutorial that i've made or they can take their time and really think about it without feeling you know if they don't just, we, we hear this as we're aware of this as teachers that if if someone doesn't get a concept towards the beginning of the topic and they're still pause and they're still mentally processing that particular point Anything that follows after that is lost because they're still grappling with that first point. So in the self-paced model, you, you don't have to worry about what's going next because you can you can pause there and say, right, this is what I need to get grips with before I go on, and there's no pressure on me to try to keep up with everything else. And so, yeah, that's that's how I see the self-paced model in that in that regard.
0: So let me play devil's advocate, Stuart. Someone's going to hear that and they're going to say, "Yeah, but they'll they'll never get they'll never get finished. They'll never be prepared for their exam in the end." How would you respond to that?
1: I think the one definitive is the time for their exam, but it's what you do between. And again, this is about working backwards, isn't it, James? We know that okay on May the twenty second in the morning is the psychology paper. Okay, let's work back from there, um, and. In the in the traditional classroom model, we would argue or we would say, okay, well, we, we've done we've done attitude now. We've done personality, for example. What it actually means is the teacher's done it. it doesn't, I've, deli- I've delivered it. Yeah, absolutely, it's been delivered. We've done that. Chalk that often. Now, even I'm guilty of that with my team. We have a spreadsheet, and we when we've when we've covered when we've covered the particular topic, we put a little green box in a in a spreadsheet to tell us, oh, we've done that. But that does not equate to the students having. Mastered that, and so I think my response would be: Yeah, we work backwards from that definitive point, and we give the the students have that opportunity to use the time they have available in order to to get there. And they go there as some of them will, will, will go at different rates, they go at different places. Some will grasp it quicker than others, but others will have that opportunity to to get there.
0: One of the beautiful things that I perceive about what you've just talked about is that the resources and the experiences are not exclusive to the classroom. So that, so that pacing, that self-pacing is, of course, a classroom experience, mm. but mm. it expands beyond the classroom. Is that
1: fair? I think that's right. And I think perhaps one of the challenges that we all might find looking at this model is in encouraging and ensuring that the teacher that the students actually take that time outside of the classroom i think um i was listening to uh, another one of your podcasts with gary sullivan gary uh, Gulliver, Gulliver, that's right australian guy really good podcast by the way anyone listening Thank to you. it it's worthwhile going to listen to him as well from australia and he was talking of this notion of conditioning he mentioned that quite a number of times didn't he and i think one of the probably what's incumbent upon us is if we're going to get, and the students are going to get the best out of the self-paced model, it's about redesigning and, as you say, reimagining education, reimagining what they can do and almost unpicking the, the tradition and the very embedded conditioned approach to which they are used to education, education being done to them, perhaps, mm-hmm. such that they can go out and make best use of those resources. It's not that they don't use the devices, because I think we we all know that you have to, you only have to walk up the high street. Uh, young people are they're, they're glued to their devices. It's there. It's about them using that those resources effectively. Mm. You know, well, I think
0: I, I agree with that. I think I think we look at device usage with young people, and we we see almost like a demonic state of being. Mm. You know, people zombified onto their screens. But it's also a, a real source of power and access if it's. Mm. Sh- efficiently and effectively and what i think is really interesting about your work the resources you've described already in 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 this recording but more broadly as well is that by their nature they
1: are available you're effectively making your classroom available everywhere that's right that's right and i I really try to encourage my students to do that go beyond the classroom to access them
0: Okay, so this brings us really. I mean, it brings us round to the whole conversation about IT and in, edu- in, in education, Stuart. So, so look, I mean, w- whether someone's listening to this and they're in a bring your own device school or they're teaching in a, a classroom that's got computers around the outside, from your perspective, as someone who's trained in this area as well, mm-hmm. what do you what do you believe is the role of let's call it computer technology, with, within
1: education? Um, it's a really interesting question, James, and I'm going to be a bit naughty and I'm going to throw one back at you before I answer that, if I may. Because the header for your landing page on your website, the Ever learner says um, hu- humanising, using technology. What, what is it? To humanizing technology. what is it? To humanising technology. What
0: does it say? Using technology to humanise every classroom.
1: Okay. So I, I would be really intrigued as to what that, what you mean by that.
0: Okay. So for me, I think that what we've got in a traditional classroom, let's say a non-technology-based, and when I talk about technology, I, I should qu- uh, qualify that by saying I'm not talking about technology like uh you might use a coat hanger to hang your jacket or a yeah. fork to you. I'm talking about a, yeah. a modern silicon-based, some kind of computer technology mm. device mm. or a tablet or something like that. So My view is that the traditional model of education, which broadly could be, uh, and by the way, with many exceptions, but broadly could be summarized as all students facing in one direction, all Mm. taking educational experiences as a group at one pace, uh, with um, knowledge and skill being passed from the mind of one kind of master figure, the Mm. teacher, into the minds of many others at uh, a rate which is suitable to the teacher and, more importantly, to the system. Yeah, um, I think that is what can be changed through technology. Mm. So for me, technology should be um, as um, revolutionary as possible in that it can change a one-pace-fits-all education, generic education, into an individualized, self-paced, self-directed education. Yeah. F- furthermore, it can take uh the let's somehow think of the average student in the average classroom with the average teacher in the average subject i think at almost the click of a finger we can get the average student to have access to the best teacher on the planet Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. least through their device so that then their average classroom can become something else yeah a place of doing. And the only way we can do that is if we, and I'm going to use very strong words when I say this, uh, Stuart, so I'm a, I'm a, this is a deliberately provocative statement. I think we have to use technology to end the tyranny of a one pace fits all broadcast transmission lecture
1: style lesson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know you're, that's your whole underlying philosophy, isn't it? And I, I know that's, uh, that's the bedrock of what you're, what you're doing, which I, I completely agree with. So for me, I think what you have said is absolutely right. I, I wouldn't disagree with that and I think we use that where in my place of work um, relatively well. I'm also really interested in taking the affordances of technology devices and enabling students to be really creative and grapple with and apply knowledge in ways in which wouldn't be possible without technology. So you know, for example, in in recent years, you might have, let's say, before before te- um, devices, et cetera, we might be handwriting essays. Now, what we might be doing is with laptops or Chromebooks or whatever we're using is doing the same thing, but we are typing those essays, which is which is a step forward, but not revolutionary, if you like. Um, what I would, I'm really trying to do. And I think you'll relate to uh, an example I use with green screen, which we might talk about in a moment, is taking or giving or allowing the opportunity for students to take knowledge, take their understanding and apply it in different ways, which would not have been possible without the use of technology. So um, you'll remember I, um, we were doing some work on joints, all the different joints, and I tasked uh, little groups, small groups to come up with essentially a film where one student in each group was in front of the, the camera and we had green screen behind and they made a video um, talking about the different types of joints and it worked really really well because it was it was almost like project-based learning and that's where I see the real beauty of technology going beyond um, simply doing what we did it previously but just in a different interface.
0: So, where does that leave? It's a really fascinating um, description. Where does that leave something like the notion of a subject? Because project-based learning, almost in its essence, ends um, sort of it, it ends up covering a whole a much wider range of experiences. It, it sort of dissolves the lines between uh, p physiology and biology. It dissolves yeah. the lines between
1: yeah. organic chemistry and mathematics. Mm. How, how do you feel about that? I think that there's scope for it but I think again you've got a very traditional model and the model I'm talking about now is modern uh, is traditional education and that this idea of we we package don't we we package subjects up into parcels of time and we have five or six parcels of time and we do a series of learning and we say they're going to get a certain point in 55 minutes or an hour and I think there would be a lot of unpicking that would be required and a lot of forward thinking teachers i think to enable that to happen and i'm not saying it doesn't happen i think it actually there is practice around the country certainly um in america there's quite a bit on um of of a uh, focus on project-based learning um but i think probably like a lot of things in education the first thing that we need to do is look at our own biases our own structures in our own thought patterns and and unpick those and dismantle those before we can go to somewhere new and then we have to ask the question by going somewhere new is that actually better or is it different and you know what's the value and ultimately what's the impact on the learning for the student so as my experience of that particular project was just within the classroom and it worked but it was still there was still a framework within which it was certainly contained Mm -hmm. if you like
0: it's it's a really interesting i i spend a lot of time thinking about this idea because my my mind has a bit of a tendency to 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 drift into uh, future planning and imagination and what could be and it's, it's kind of i've always been that way really mm. and, but it, i've almost found a niche for it to be useful for me these days what i think may happen is that or what I, what I currently believe is the right thing to do, with, let's, take, let's just broadly consider it to be some kind of alternative educational structure. My, my view is that there's one methodology which is to change all of the color, current protocols and procedures and to, and, to, and, to, and to take schools and colleges and teachers and systems and, and effectively gradually change them over time, which would be a very challenging thing. The alternative to that is to create a secondary system Mm. Make it so effective and so compelling that by the nature of the success of that, that this transition from one to the other will be extremely rapid. Mm. Mm. Now I I personally think if you, if you take into the whole collateral of the situation, all the people that we'd have to consider as invested members of that, not least young people being born this year, last year, the year before, that is the most effective method of getting new set of behaviors and breaking old assumptions is to create something completely, runs completely in parallel to the current model mm. and just make it so effective, albeit with fewer numbers that the transition to to that way of doing things will be much more rapid.
1: So James what would, what do you think would be or are the barriers to that happening now?
0: Um there's a few there's a few big ones that I think people not everyone would identify but the, the first one is capitalism. Mm. Because in order to create that alternative, you have to have commercial success mm. and to have commercial success or, or you need an unbelievably wealthy backer. You know, the, the mm. Khan Academy with Google and the Gates Foundation is perhaps a, an anomaly in that area. But um, you, the issue with commerciality is that it's very, very effective at making the organization trying to achieve that um, chase money. Mm. because of course to do more to employ more people to to build a network out wider you have to make money and to make money you have to chase the market Mm. so it's again it comes back to the point you mentioned before which is having a a a, a central value system Mm. that has to drive everything that you do so for so for me the capitalistic structure is is isn't or at least what I see now is not the best equipped at bringing this about because there's too many short-term wins and there's too much structurally invested money in public education.
1: And where would you see the exam system fitting in to that? So, I think
0: the exam system has a lot of advantages at the moment. So, we, we have, uh, we have some choice in exams, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, the way, we, let's, let's say that we, we completely reconditioned the way, uh, schools operated so that any individual could take any qualification at any time, mm-hmm. um, depending on the rate of development they're making in a particular area it would work exactly that way that the exams would be available continuously and would be available on any day and would be available to any individual who themselves believed that they were ready for
1: when they're ready for it absolutely
0: yeah so batch examining dictates that we have to put the system before the individual Mm. um or, or it could be a representation that we put the system before the individual that the individual has to fit the system rather than the system fitting the individual. Mm. And what I believe we could very, very easily achieve is a system whereby um, certification, qualification examination could come at a self-paced rhythm for, uh, for the learner. Now mm. that's not to say that people wouldn't do it, but just because the nature of logistics and organizations would be that of course. they probably would. Yeah. Um, but I'll give you a good example. We, we, we're very intrigued uh, about the the possibility at the moment of a one year A level. Um, so, for, if you think about the concept of an A level course in, in the UK or, in, or British schools abroad, the idea is basically going to take two years. You're going to be in a classroom for, oh, it's about 18 months, 20 months. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in a classroom. At the end of that, you take your exam. Maybe you do an AS in the first year, maybe you don't well we argue that that is only the case because the system is determining that that's how long it takes yeah. so we would have a classroom that from the first day you had that all the students had the opportunity to take the a level exam at the end the full a level exam at the end of the first year mm. and a decision would be made by them around about january february time that mm. they were going to commit to go for that in the first year or they were going to put it off to the second year mm-hmm. now we think that's extremely possible uh, to, to achieve that and our, our prediction would be we'd get about 25 to 30 percent of all A-level students doing their A-level in one year.
1: Mm. It's really interesting my my immediate thoughts of that is it goes it, bigger in society because then you're thinking about university and how that impacts there and students going on to university earlier would there be scope for that uh, how do you see that playing out?
0: You yeah, know well, I think <clears throat> In the immediate period, we'd have a situation where, let, let's say, a student did three A levels, which is pretty average today, and um, they did they qualified with a high grade after one year on one of those A levels. That is going to provide very strong evidence to a for a, a UCAS type application to go to university. It's going to mean that those individuals are probably going to get better spots. Mm. Universities. It's also going to mean that those individuals theoretically either could. Um, study another a level in their second year but why would they why wouldn't they start studying their undergraduates though?
1: yeah 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 if they're ready for it yeah because
0: because the lines between are assumed they're infrastructural and they're institutional mm. they have nothing to do with the student yeah. Separation points if if we take stuart maddock as an 18 year old these these lines like you got a six form here, then you got a university at eight you go to six form until you're eighteen, then after eighteen you get a university. Those lines have nothing to do with Stuart. Those lines yeah. have to do with an institutional and infrastructural assumption. And I would argue that technology has the capacity at least to dissolve those lines. It won't remove them altogether because human growth and development probably does have some kind of typical rhythm. Mm.
1: it's really interesting because if you think about you get to a point post-school even post undergraduate then what you've just described you could argue it is already in existence to an extent if you take for example the open university and other online opportunities then you can do that because you've got that, that greater freedom it's just that structure as you say that we are tied to as younger younger adults or students that we have to adhere to
0: one of the things that concerns me, if if I take, if I step back and look at our society, there are a number of things to be joyous about, and there are a number of things to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I believe we should be most deeply shocked and concerned about in our society, um, and people will know other obvious examples of what the, what I'm about to say could be, you know, this, whether it's inequality or war, or you know, those things, of course. But just somebody explain to me sometime. Why education is only available to children? Mm. Why, why is that? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: It's, I'm not saying it shouldn't be available. I think we're very fortunate that education is available to children. It's, it's, a, it's fantastic. It's, it's a, it's, a, it's a magnificent structure that we could, that we, we have to a degree and we could have even better. But why are those opportunities, resources, experiences no longer available once you happen to get past a certain manufacture
1: date? But again, interesting point, because perhaps what we're thinking of is the traditional concept of education, yes. the physicality of it. I.e., You go to a place to be educated by one person at the front of the classroom, because as we, I think, both know, as we go forward five years, 10 years plus. What we're doing now, the online environment is going to be the place where education can and is already you know blossoming and flourishing. And I think will it, it expand even beyond that. So then I think it comes back to the awareness of the individual that actually there is the education available and there will be the education available, but not in the traditional model. Yes.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think I think I think you're right in that sense. I think you only have to look today at how many people uh, self-educate or autodidact or, or, or through YouTube, even how many people do that.
1: It's a, I, have, I have two children who mm-hmm. do that a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too, me too.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's, again, a, a, of an age we're thinking, we, we're thinking, oh, you're just glued to the screen. And then you sit around the table of an evening and you have a really fascinating conversation with a, my 16-year-old son who you think, where did you get that from? Where have you? And, and, and then it comes out, well, I'm, I'm watching this guy, this, this this guy's podcast or whatever. And, and there is really rich opportunities for that, certainly.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think if... if at the moment, we have almost an accidental structure. I mean, I'm sure Google would argue differently, but we have almost an accidental structure to kind of that online learning provision. And there's a real beauty to that, by the way, because it, there's an organicness, there's a self-identity aspect of it. Mm. Anyone can learn anything without having the pressure that I should be learning whatever yes. it happens to be. Um, and, and we have could, to, yeah. Struggle. Well, I was going to say you could
1: argue that that's the that's the best learning because it's completely intrinsic. They want you want to do it. Mm. Yeah, those, those desires come from yourself.
0: And I think it it comes to the heart of something really beautiful and something that I think sometimes we forget in the compulsion-based kind of educational uh, mentality that we can get into, especially around exams and approaching exam days, this sort of thing, is that to, le- to truly learn something, to truly learn something that you haven't previously understood or known or been able to do is possibly, or I would argue, is the most beautiful sensation mm-hmm. That you can have I kind of want to suffix that with your clothes on you know what I mean it's you know there's other comparable ones or or maybe different ones but um, it's such a joyous experience it's so satisfying it builds you up as a person it makes Mm. you believe in yourself more and then if you take the opposite end of that experience let's Mm. imagine a young person let's imagine a 14 year old boy say and that fourteen-year-old boy goes to school, and they just tend to experience criticism, failure, mm-hmm. not doing very well, poor grades, low marks, getting told off. And I, I try to imagine the rhythm and cycle that young person would get into. Yeah. And it must be, a, a, it must be a really harsh experience. Now, I want to, I want to say here, I in no way am I teacher bashing. I'm, I think I'm system bashing. Mm. Um, and I think it's interesting to reflect whether education and teaching is as it could be the learning industry or is it a system of um, buildings, policies, assumptions, procedures that, that have a kind of a lagging baggage of what it's supposed to be like and what school's supposed to be and what classrooms are supposed to be. And Mm. if you go back to my point earlier, some people find it very controversial, but I believe that technology can end the tyranny of Mm. a broadcast lecture within a classroom, that one pace fits all lecture. How many of us in education are saying, right, we don't need a teacher at the front of the class Mm -hmm. describing ideas to young people. You can do it if you need to, but Mm. we don't need that anymore
1: yeah. it's uh it's it's a, a, an interesting point and i'm sure there will be huge debate ongoing about this of course one of the focuses particularly i, I think on twitter of m- recent times I've, I've been aware of is you know the the content-led uh, curriculum and the place for instruction and i think i hope you'd agree james it's, it's not a question of It's not about teacher instruction, it's about the the methodology or the medium through which that instruction comes and so what I think you do well is we get that instruction comes through the technology and that then frees up the teacher for the coach, for the facilitator in order to help and enhance learning for those that need it in their own pace.
0: That's exactly it. Sometimes people um, want to have the conversation is, is a classroom about content or is it about skills? Well, mm. why, why can't we be really selfish and have both? Yeah, because absolutely. Because we don't, if we, if we switch off the assumption that that teacher skill has to be transmitted from an individual live teacher in the room, all of a sudden that individual live teacher in the room can be all kinds of other things within that space. And... If, if, a, if a student today is fortunate enough to be in a classroom with Stuart, for example, you know, a magnificent teacher a knowledgeable person, someone who can instruct, someone who can pass on communication and information really well, then that's great. But some students aren't in that classroom. Yeah. Um, and by the nature of, of allness and everything, the average student is in the average classroom, with the average teacher. So my view would be how can we increase – the quality of um, types of information that, that that average student receives so that their average teacher could spend all of
1: their time supporting mm. supporting them within the classroom. And, and that, that for me is the key because there is plenty of research out there saying if, if you transmit from the front, it's still not a guarantee that every individual will, will learn and pick up and interpret what you said in the same way. So therefore, you need to be able to have that individual time, that time with the small groups to pick out those misconceptions, to make sure that they have got the understanding that is required in the correct way, which often, you know, big classes of 30, etc. That's uh, something that perhaps is is certainly a challenge for many teachers.
0: Well, and and I would say it's even impossible to have a significant proportion of your time um, in one to one or small group work if the transmission is coming via the teacher if that's, if the transmission is coming via the teacher the tendency towards one-to-one and small group interaction even with a magnificent individual is going to be very 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 limited absolutely so yeah. so this brings me on to an important point this year what, what would we see in your classroom if somebody walked into your classroom tomorrow and and
1: some kind of typical lesson was taking place what would they experience well tomorrow is fantastic because it's exams and so no that one's in there but generally speaking um, so I, I I have been trialing pioneering the EverLearner model. And so what my classroom would look like, certainly with a it hasn't been with every single um, class I teach and every year group I teach because it's early early stages for me with, with the EverLearner model. But what I have been trialing is uh, an environment where there are four stations. So my tables are, if you like, islands, and I would probably have four to six students in each uh area and so we've got um we've got an area for quiet work and so there might be some past paper questions there there might be some so if i use the topic of uh recently i did some work with um a level psychology sports psychology confidence with vd's model and self-efficacy with Bandura's model so there would be some past paper questions there there may be some um, expansion activities there for example Um, You know, some questionnaires about confidence, sports confidence, et cetera. On the quiet area, I would have the terminals area, which we're an iPad school, so they've all got their iPads on. So they would be listening and watching tutorials, taking notes that might have been from either EverLearner or something that I might have done. And then you've got a more creative play area where what I'm encouraging the students to do here is to take the knowledge that they have and apply it. So again, in this particular context, I asked the students to create a a video and then upload that onto a great website called Flipgrid, which Mm -hmm. our our listeners may have come across. It's only three minutes maximum. So they're literally just showing their knowledge with practical examples there. And then the fourth area is an area which we redefined as the coaching area where um, originally, Excuse me. I would be close to the whiteboard, and I'd be standing at the whiteboard, and just helping students who needed time to um, go through misconceptions and misunderstandings. Now, what I tend to do, we, we've recently purchased some quite large A3 whiteboards, mini, uh, mini whiteboards, but they're they're large A3, and we just sit there, and we just go through very relaxed, a very coaching mode, very much open-ended questions as to what we're to to, to steer them towards their understanding. Um, and that's the beauty of it, because I, I have the time, if you like, I'm buying the time to spend with individuals, either small groups or one to one to enable them to ensure that the impact they're making is, is, is right for them, that they've, they've got that understanding. Um, there's a huge amount of activity, I would say, in most of my classes and um, not always because it's not perfect, but limited, increasingly limited front of house transmission
0: that's really fascinating Stuart so I I can already see what the students get out of this they they have flexibility they have self-direction they have time they have resources they have you importantly that they Mm -hmm. can do one-to-one when they need to but what about you Stuart I mean how how do you feel in that space because (laughs) I'm assuming this is not what you were doing five years ago no
1: absolutely I wasn't probably doing it even 18 months two years ago And it's really interesting because um as i have been doing this i've been taking some notes and reflecting on what i'm doing and i was just i was just reading through recently and i i made a note that i felt incredibly uncomfortable and i think also did the students did as well the students felt uncomfortable because it was an an unfamiliar situation for them that they were not facing the front there wasn't mr Maddock, um delivering to them teaching them and it was okay you're on your own to the extent that you know, you're going to do some of your own learning, learning for yourself. I felt it a challenge because it's actually quite difficult for probably most teachers will relate to what I'm about to say. It's not necessarily being quiet, but it's you feel that you want to do something. You want to, you want to go and just help them when actually you had to put yourself back. At least in the early stages, I felt that I, I had to disconnect in that sense because let them get on. If you set up those activities and structures properly, then it should take care of itself. The, the, the work that you're actually doing is behind the scenes, under the bonnet, so to speak. It's all done before so that when you're in the classroom, it's a self-running uh, machine. It's probably not the right analogy to use, but it's a self-running system. Um, <clears throat> what i think i found or what definitely we found was that the students were a little bit reluctant initially to come to me in the coaching zone and i think on reflection moving forward i need to be a little bit more proactive in encouraging them to come just as a check-in and then from that initial check-in okay let's have a and it could be me quizzing them just to to show the depth of their knowledge and understanding. But equally, it would be a diagnostic for me to say, well, okay, that isn't quite where we need to be, and then help them along the way. So that would be something that um, I would definitely be looking to to do as we move forward. But it's a very strange um, environment, actually, to find yourself in James. And I think anyone who's listening to this and thinking, I'm really interested in this model and how I might do it. You have to overcome those urges as a teacher, especially if you've been doing it for X number of years, to want to, uh, i was going to say interfere but just just to you you've got to let them be and then i think you also you've got to create an environment which is safe for them to know that they can do their things at their own pace at their own time but come and find you and help for help and support and guidance as and when so that was that was uh, i mean it's really really interesting as a change of shift and i should say i if you you know including all of my teachers i've been teaching for 25 years and changing the model of my style at this stage. I have to say I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I can see, I haven't got any, this isn't a proper um, research project, but I can see, especially when you come back close to the exams and you review the topics that we've done in that model, that there is real understanding. Not necessary for everybody and that might be, there may be different factors in play there such as natural ability and motivation etc. But I can see that there are um, certainly positives, let's say, from that particular approach. But let me just share something with you, James, because this, this is, is quite, this is quite interesting. And um, once we finish that whole episode, and I did that over. Um, that topic probably over, I don't know, let's say two weeks, let's say five lessons of 55 minutes included homework as well. So mm. I didn't say as is, you know, the traditional model might be, right, here's the lesson, right, we're at the end of the lesson now, here's your homework, which you need to do for the next lesson or submit before and then I'll mark it, etc. I didn't say that at all. I said, right, this is the work, the whole package, or various different stations, and this is my expectations are by the end of this time, so this is the definitive period of time, we all need to be here. How the rate at which you get there is obviously up to you. Um, I kept a little kind of um, spreadsheet on, they, they checked into me when they'd finished each task, mm-hmm. so I knew what they had done, because what I was keen for them to do was experience all the, all of the, certainly the three, if not the four, if you include the coaching area, a, and, and activities. So I didn't want them just to do the, the terminal tutorials, I wanted them to do the mark, the mark Keys, which incidentally they then self-assessed with, mm-hmm. um, Past questions and mark schemes. And then I wanted I thought it was really important that they go and then apply that knowledge because that's if we're talking about exam speak, that's your AO3s, that's exactly. your application of knowledge. And, and so if you if you really yeah, if you do something yourself and part of these activities might have been you're going to teach someone else, that's really powerful stuff in terms of their understanding. But the thing I wanted to share with you, James, was that I then asked them afterwards. Um, okay, let's have a reflection on this. What did you think about this uh, this whole way of learning and activity? And I had a real range of, of responses. I didn't have a particularly large cohort doing this, but I had, well, I'll tell you some of the responses I had and then I'll tell you what my interpretations of those were. So I had one or two thought it was absolutely excellent and they loved it and they were totally engaged from the get-go. I had one or two who were probably initially quite reluctant, they took a little while to get their heads around what are we doing this for, why aren't we doing the normal way, but actually got into it um, right the way to the very almost far end of the the, the, uh, the spectrum, if you like, and one one girl said, lovely, she said, sir, I think this is completely unnecessary. She <laughs> <laughs> said, so why, why don't you just teach us? And, and that's, you know, that I think I, on reflection goes back to this idea of conditioning, that, that the students come to the classroom, they sit in a particular way facing the board, saying the teacher and say, come on, sir, I'm here to watch you work. You know, and and that was something which, and, and my, my my reflections from that, actually, there was, one, there was one other comment, which was a really nice comment, was um, he, he, this particular chap, this guy did work and he did engage and he did invest in the learning. But what he said a reflection was, and I'm, I don't think he was just trying to button me up, but he said, sir, but you're a really good teacher. We really enjoy being taught by you. So actually, I want to be taught by you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so that was that was of interest. But I and I just wondered, OK, so what what is it about this? And when I look at each of those activities and each of, and it's all about your own context, isn't it? And it's all about your own students that you have that, that are with you in that classroom. And I wondered whether, and this is fascinating, I'm sure there is real scope for proper academic research in this. Um, Was it the ones, the two that really, really grasped it? They a mixed ability group I'm dealing with. They were the most able and they, they flew with it. Was it because they were able to grasp the concept themselves or was it because that's a preferred way of learning? I had another student who, lovely, lovely girl, she said to me, "Sir, I'm no good at teaching myself. And that, for me, was just a preconceived barrier that, that she just didn't want to do it I didn't believe that she could do it. And I had another one who really struggled. And, I, and you know, in terms of sports psychology and, and, sport and psychology, classic exhibition of learned helplessness. Just mm. failure is inevitable. I cannot do this without the support structures that I'm used to. Yeah. Um, and so it, whilst you set up the model, I think you have to be very, very aware of the component parts and those that, and which brings me back to the point i made before is actually being more proactive in pulling out those that need the, that coaching and that guidance and it, the confidence boosting that they can do this themselves so what i think my, my final sort of findings were, were that this this needs to be done sustained over periods period of time to to enable that to happen and the, the other question i had was this is with a, a group of upper six um so year 13 students mm-hmm. And I'm, one of my questions was: I wonder, is this the right time? Is it the right time? Be, yeah. You know, is is it with, with these people? I suppose what will, the proof of the pudding will be if there is a question in the exam in a couple of weeks' time on this topic and how well they do with it. That yeah. would be the ultimate measure, I suppose.
0: Uh, I I, th- I think you you've done a real service for those students so even for those students who uh, felt uncomfortable out of their comfort zone felt like they were struggling that they've experienced something there where that they are self-reliant they're managing their time mm. they're working to deadlines they're committing to their to their tasks they're working to a level of mastery I think that you setting up uh, experiences like that is really, really valuable for young people. And I have to say on a personal level as well, Stuart, just to pick up on something you said earlier, um, you mentioned how long you've been teaching for. (laughs) I think it's 25 years, you said. 25 years, yeah. And I also wanted to say thank you as well because, I mean, it means a lot to me personally that you'll, um, I don't know, read or hear a lunatic like me talking about these things and even consider implementing them. That means an awful lot for me so i I also want to i want to say thank you for that because i sometimes in my work i i spend a lot of time in an office spend a lot of time with a computer spend a lot of time with a media tablet recording stuff and Mm. it can can actually be quite a lonely existence and you kind of forget while while you're doing that stuff sometimes so to to engage with someone like yourself in this sort of conversation same with gary same with heather and i'm sure the other guys as well in that pioneers yeah. group it really warms me that people are even considering this as an option for their own mm. classrooms and for their own students that means an awful lot for me
1: well i think as you know you you are fortunate enough i suppose if that's the right term to have met some of my students mm. and when i worked with the year 11s to a lesser extent yeah, they 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 embrace that as well. So you know, it's 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 certainly something that I'm going to continue to work on, and something which I hope to be able to take beyond my department into the wider the wider school. Certainly, yeah.
0: Um, if if Mike were here, Mike Prior who's now our product manager uh, here at the avalana he mm-hmm. the the way he would answer the time point is is upper six the right time. Mm-hmm. He's, his view of that is that broadly speaking, this model is already in existence mm. in, in primary and younger yeah, yeah. primary years. And then it's actually in the middle years that it disappears. Cause of course, when you go into university, okay, they've got their lectures and they've got their seminars and things like that. But broadly speaking, they're, they're, they're self educating, they're self pacing, they're self directing this kind of thing. And okay, sometimes that goes right and sometimes that goes less well. Um, but there's much less structure around that kind of student. Mm. Um, mm. And so Mike would argue that the key to this is not allowing that to dissipate. Yes. I I mean, it's hard to be exact, but between sort of year four and year 11, somehow, somehow Mm -hmm. that's where we seem to drift into this. Transmission model within, yeah. within classrooms. So that, mm. that's how he would argue it. I want to I wanna ask you a, a question we ask all of our guests, Stuart. I'd like you to project forward uh, five years from now. Mm. And I'd like, would you be willing to share with us um, one thing that you are absolutely determined that you would like to be the same in your life? It could mm. be professional or personal, entirely up to you. Yeah. And could you share with us one thing that you're determined to change? Or let me rephrase that, that you're determined will be different.
1: Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's fine. I think the the thing that I am absolutely determine not to change are my core values. Mm. I think I'm a very values-driven individual and a values-driven uh, teacher. And I think that I, I'd like to think that people think of me as being someone who really puts... The learning of the students at the core of what I do and I would be really disappointed if I met myself in five years time and that wasn't still happening um, but something that I think I would like to change um, or something I would like to be involved in more is in a more structured way be that in my own context in place of work or perhaps in a wider online capacity I don't know but the the notion of working with teachers and teacher learning and development, uh, either in a PE context or in a in a wider context, um, you know we know that there are huge pressures on teachers and all sorts of things in terms of retention and uh, recruitment etc. I think that there's probably scope for guidance to help teachers to do the best they can, and with that in mind, I think that's something that I'm, I've become increasingly involved with. Um, although it's still at the early stages, is, is, is a coaching role. We talk about mentoring and coaching, and I think that um, there's a space for that more so in the future for coaching. I think if you think about um, you know, most school, most teachers listening to this will, will recognise the model whereby your senior leadership team are doing your work scrutinies or your lesson observations, and they tend to be um, assessment and they're, they're performative. Whereas I think there's scope for uh, probably less high stakes support in terms of coaching and helping people really develop. And that's where I think I, I see myself fitting in. And again, whether that's um, in my own context or as an e-coach working online, working with others, I, th- I can really see. I'd like to think I've got a huge amount to offer the, our profession and uh, I can see myself doing that, I hope, in time to come
0: well wow, it's it's really interesting we we have some shared interests on that one Stuart I have to say so uh it's, it's really interesting now I'd like to finally ask you it, reflecting and this could be at any stage in your life um, re- reflecting on educators that you've you have experienced yourself could could you share uh, with our listeners um, who in your life you've experienced to be as a
1: great teacher it's, yeah absolutely and it's really interesting what what we mean how we interpret what a great teacher means because it could be a classroom practitioner but certainly in my case when I was a I don't know what we we're all probably belligerent teenagers weren't we I wasn't I was definitely not a model student at school. neither was I <laughs> um, but what I was not surprising as a now, having become a PE teacher is someone who thoroughly enjoyed sport mm. and was pretty decent at sports and was encouraged hugely to you know to do the best that I could and so my someone who's who sticks in my mind as, as being um, that inspiration for me was a, a gentleman called Jeff Martin who was actually my geography teacher so he took me through GCSE or O levels as was and A level but he also ran the school cricket team, and um, you know I, I was in the cricket team for a number of years. Um, I went. I was lucky enough to go on an international tour. He was leading or part of that tour, so it was a was a huge uh, influence in in me, not just in the sport, but what sport can bring in the wider you know for the wider context of the wider world, and that has not it's not left me at all. And I'd like to think that you know, you go into this profession and. You never know you don't know at that time at that particular point of a particular day that you are influencing someone or making a profound impact on them but you'd like to think that in time in years when when those have gone through your teaching look back they might say the same thing about yourself yeah that's yeah.
0: It's, that's really fascinating I, I, I think that as as a circle as a cycle bringing mm. bringing that full turnaround is really interesting. Yeah. So sure that there are about a million things I plan to ask you that we. I mean, <laughs> if you think, for example, we haven't talked really about the green screening work that you. Yeah. We have, we've barely touched on the role of sport and movement in education. We have, we have to come back to that because yeah. we're not just those classroom P teachers. No, that's right. We also do a lot of practical stuff as well. So at some point we have to come back to that too because it's so important.
1: But, um, we've got lesson observations. Less, lesson observations. Well, All kinds yeah. of stuff. So yeah. I,
0: I'm considering this very much as a part one of this experience. I think you've got an awful lot to share uh, with a wide community of educators with, uh, and for that matter for learners and for parents too. Mm it's really interesting so i i would be deeply honored if you would consider coming back on uh, I'd be delighted to at some point and i'm not talking about the, in the distant future either i really would like to explore this conversation further i also want to acknowledge while we're here Stuart. i also want to thank you on a personal level for all of the support that you have given me in the last three or four years um, mm. you you i don't know if you realize this but um the first time I got a contact from Millfield that they were considering using the resources that I produced, I nearly fell off my chair. Um, And since then, more importantly, I think we've developed a a really positive working relationship and a a really lovely friendship as well. So I just want to acknowledge that. I want to make that public. I want to be get all vulnerable here. Let's do the
1: self appreciation society. I think think what you're doing and you've stuck by that belief, because I'm sure that there've been times when you've thought, is this, what am i doing i think it's taking real traction and i think that people you know i think um, it was again gary said you know you're a genius because you're actually putting out there something which is an alternative which people are recognizing is viable and i think that we are maybe still in the very early stages but we're definitely going in the right direction
0: thank you I mean I, I struggle with words like compliments to the gravity of genius but, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I I really do appreciate the sentiment but it's really heartfelt for me Gary I mean it, it's it was what it was shortly after what I consider the dark days of what I've been doing that, mm. that we first had contact and, and you first got in touch with God to using our services it it, it truly meant an awful an awful lot to me and um, yeah I really do want to thank you for that but in terms of the podcast we're going to, we're gonna end things there a huge thank you to you so a huge thank you to both of your children and to Anna your lovely wife as well for even giving you the time to do this this evening it really is uh, please pass on my thanks to them Uh, we'll end the show here
1: thanks it's been a pleasure James
0: all the best